Hey, man. Hey, Art. How are you? Good, man. How are you? I'm doing Good excellent. You. All right. Let's get let's get it started. I want to sure. respect your, your time. Sure. Hi, I'm Cyril, your host. And welcome to my podcast that I called... I really want to do this. In this podcast, I interview guests from all walks of life and try to understand the various ways that different types of people with different backgrounds and experiences succeed in achieving their goals in their very own ways. Think of the past 10 years in your own life. Have you had a personal goal, an objective, maybe you call it a dream, of doing this one thing? You really want to do that one thing whatever it may be, but for some reason, you never succeeded in making it actually happen. Well, by showcasing successful achievers and asking them how they did it, I sincerely hope that this podcast will give you some ideas and maybe answers on where to start, how to proceed, in order to actually do that one thing that you really want to do. Hi everyone, this is Cyril, and today we have a great guest again. Um, this is Art. Art, how are yes. you doing? Should I call you Art or Arthur? Uh, you can call me Art. Oh. I, I make a joke that when my wife is mad at me, she'll call me Arthur. <laughs> that's, how you know, that's how you know if you're in trouble. Exactly. My girlfriend calls me babe all the time, and then it's like, Cyril. <laughs> okay, <laughs> I'm in trouble. <laughs> you better get in here. <laughs> okay, so you're not in trouble, so I'll call you Art. That's okay. <laughs> are you doing me, today? Or call me babe if you want. That's okay. Oh, I can't call you babe. <laughs> are you doing babe? <laughs> uh, how's your day going today? It's going great. It's going great, thank God. Yeah. 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 Oh, tell me about that. I like how about, you say thank God. Tell me about this. About me saying thank God? Yes. Well, uh, you know, I'm an observant Jew. Yeah. And so it's a really um, important part of my life. I think that uh, when you say things like thank God, you're acknowledging um, there's a level of gratitude in, in everything that's going in, in, in everything you say. So, yeah. Yeah. you know, for me, like I am having a good day. So, you know, I'm, yeah. I'm grateful. <laughs> so tell me where you are right now and where were you born uh i was born in riga latvia uh when i was born wow. there it was the soviet union former soviet union wow uh, i came to portland oregon uh as a, as a young kid when i was uh, uh about to turn five mm -hmm. uh lot lots of different stops Uh, as Seinfeld says, yada, yada, yada. Now, yeah, I'm, in, yeah. now, now I'm in New Jersey. <laughs> oh, wow. But, uh, yeah. Recently, Do you remember anything from sure. before the U.S.? Sure. I've, sure. What do yeah. you remember? Tell me about it. Um, I remember like fragments, you know. I remember like our old apartment. I remember like the playground. I remember like the preschool there in, in the Soviet Union. I remember like a friend, um, but I would say like my very earliest memories 
were when I went on the trip over, you know, it was, mm. a, it was a two or three month journey because we went by way of Italy and Vienna. And then um, like when we first got to the United States, that adjustment. You know. Did you fly or did you, you go, go on a plane? On a, we took a train or... from Riga to Moscow and then we flew to Italy. Okay. So you couldn't, Jewish people at that time, because it, it, it's actually a really interesting story. There was, um, it was still the Soviet Union. So you couldn't leave to go to America, right? There yeah. was a it was communist Russia and, and there was no formal, there was no even real um, dialogue between the two countries. Uh, but um, because of a lot of pressure from um, American Jews, the Soviet Union had allowed uh, Soviet Jews to leave to go to Israel. Um, but there was this kind of like wink, wink arrangement between the two governments that Soviet Jews would go to Italy, apply and apply for asylum to go to America. So they would pretend to go to Israel and then they would actually go to America. So that way the Soviet government didn't have to say, didn't have to acknowledge that, that the Jews were going to, from, from the Soviet Union to America. Um, so but that was your of, plan, your parents, your dad's plan or your mom's plan to move to America in the first place? Yeah. So we had our relative that was in America write letters pretending to be in Israel. And we took those letters to the, to the, to the Soviet interior ministry. And then basically, you know, you had to fill out forms um, and then they basically let you leave. And we left, we left with nothing. You weren't allowed to take you, know, you had to sell everything you owned. You had to, you know, get rid of everything. Wow. Yeah. Did you talk to your dad about that? I mean, this is yeah, yeah. everything behind. What, what was he hoping for? Well, it's an interesting question. I think that um, for my parents' generation, I think that there was a level of eagerness to leave because there had been such a, you know, it's really interesting that most, you know, if you look through human history, most countries where there's a revolution, it doesn't happen at the lowest point, it actually happens when things improve a little bit. Mm. And that kind of, for whatever reason, that breathing room allows for that to happen. So, you know, uh, my parents' generation, it wasn't like the low point of living in the Soviet Union. You know, my grand, the, the low point was my grandparents' generation under Stalin. Yes. Um, but by the time my my parents' generation, they were very, um, it was just very difficult for them uh, to be in the Soviet Union, both because of communism and also because um, being Jewish in the Soviet Union was, was difficult. Like as an example, my birth certificate and passport for nationality, it says Jewish. It doesn't say Russian. It doesn't really? Say, yeah. Uh, and there was obviously like jobs you couldn't have. There was universities you weren't able to attend. You weren't allowed to, you know, be promoted. Um, so there was there was definitely like a ceiling. There was very open discrimination, um, and and hundred year, you know, two three hundred year history from you know uh, Queen Catherine the Great of, of of discrimination against against Jews in the Soviet Union. Well, before that, it was Tsarist Russia. Yeah. Uh, but you know, so my parents um, they stopped believing the propaganda, right? Like you know, you're they were surrounded by the prop the, the Soviet propaganda. And they were they were really um, excited to to leave. My grandparents were much less so, you know, because for them, you know, they were in their late fifties, early sixties, and um, for them to leave was, you know, Impossible. giving up their entire life. I mean, like 
you know, at that age, you know, where well, you're going to start over, you're going to learn a new language, you're not going to get a career there, you know. Mm-hmm. And so um, it's interesting because my grandfather flat out said he's not, he wasn't going to go. Uh, you know, he had, he, he was um, decently successful uh, <clears throat> in his career in the Soviet Union and he didn't want to leave, you know, as you can imagine. Yeah. Um, and my grandmother uh, basically told him like, you, I'm, I'm going, so you can stay here by yourself because your entire <laughs> family is leaving. Uh, and so he, he ended up obviously making the, the decision to come with, a, with us. Wow. So siblings too, when you moved to America? No. So um, we, it was my great grandmother, my, my mother's mother's mother, then her daughter. So my grandmother, And then their two daughters. So my grandmother, my mother and her sister. And then it was me and my father and, and my mother. And then my aunt, her husband and her son. So it was in total, it was nine of us that came at the same time to Portland, Oregon, actually. And when we came to the United States, my parents were both professionals. They were, they had, you know, the equivalent of master's degrees in computer science. Yeah. Um, and, you know, they were 30. Uh, my father was 30 years old when he came. And so he went to work at Texaco, you know, at a gas station. He went to work at Wendy's, you know, flipping burgers to learn the language. And, you know, they worked their way up into the middle class, you know. So within two or three years, he got a job, um, you know, working with computers again. On the and West Coast. Was it still on the West Coast? Portland, Oregon. Yeah. Okay. They're still, my parents are still in Portland, Oregon. Yeah. So okay. 30, 30 plus years at this point. Not to date me. But um You know, seeing, and I think that, you know, you and I have spoken about this before. There was just this ceiling, this feeling of like, there's no even potential or opportunity. It's kind of despair, lack of hope when you're in a situation where it doesn't matter what you do or how much you yeah. try, you're just kind of capped. Um, you know, I think that like when you, when they got to the United States and they were able to be in a situation where like, Okay, I'll go work at Texaco. That's the path I need to take to, to, to learn English. Then I'm going to take English lessons. Then I'm going to, you know, get my first professional job, you know, and then they work their way into the middle class, you know, like they, they think, you know, thank God uh, became, you know, not crazy successful, but, but for immigrants, they, they definitely moved into the middle class. So tell me about their drive, like their personality traits. And I'm interested in, in how their values got uh, passed on to you and you know tell me all about this and also how what, what were your personality traits when you were born like as a kid and which one did you um, have uh, naturally and which one did you build through your parents or through other things a good, those are good questions I definitely think that like the most challenging thing for them was to learn business because there just wasn't any free enterprise. There wasn't any entrepreneurship in the Soviet Union. It was a, literally a foreign concept. There was like a black market or a gray market. You could sell goods and services underground, but there was no idea of I'm going to start a company. That was not, that just wasn't a thing. And I think that that, so what was interesting is that when we came to the United States, both my parents worked in computers. My mother as a computer programmer, my father as a network engineer, My mother then went to become a real estate agent, a broker and have a, had a little broker. So she became a small business owner. She had an employee or two um, and she was showing houses 
to the Russian community in Portland, Oregon and, and doing very well. So that was very entrepreneurial of her. Um, and then my father also started doing all this entrepreneurial stuff. Like uh, he started working in a, in a um, like medical manufacturing business, device manufacturing business. And then there was a different startup and a different startup. So there's a couple. So I think that they really kind of like this idea of, being able to work for themselves and, and, and entrepreneurship with frankly, you know, varying levels of success, um, but still the ability to, um, to have those choices. And um, uh, I'd say like, you know, work, you know, work for your own benefit and work for your family's benefit. Yeah. Um, it was hard work too. Yeah. Yeah. I would definitely, you know, they all, they were always hardworking my mother, you know, installed like the RMS system in our house and she was, you know, driving around at all hours of the day and on weekends. Uh, and my father always had like two or three projects. So definitely very, very hardworking career focused. I think that again, like when they got the opportunity to um, invest in their careers, they really, really took to that. I would say like the thing I think that like the, the thing that I learned or like the thing that I took away from it was um, there's one story that, that I remember specifically my father telling me that I always tell uh, not, not necessarily in job interviews, but it's, it's definitely like a, a foundational story, mm-hmm. both my personality and the way that I, I view the world. My father was working in the, you know, kind of the ministry of computer science or whatever it is in the Soviet union. And in that, in the, the other ministries, whenever the computers broke, you know, you would just, you would call and then a technician would come. And because it was so bureaucratic and, and, you know, there was just a four to five week wait just to get a technician to come. And inevitably what happened was a black market. The technicians after work would go and to get paid under the table, they would do, they would do the work, right? So the, the heads, the bosses of the ministries, they couldn't wait four or five weeks for their systems to come back online. So, you know, it started like, it was just, the only way that they could do it is to, you know, is to bribe the technicians to come earlier. So my father was one of those technicians and he told me once he was, I was early twenties when he told me this story, he was working at the minute, he was a technician, right? And he, he got a call and it was the ministry of road repair. Right. And they called him and they said, our systems are down. And he looked at the schedule and he said, you know, uh, you know, well, next appointment in four weeks. Well, and they said, no, we need you to come. So, you know, they negotiate, they agree on a, on a sum called a thousand rubles. And my father comes after work and spends the next like, three or four nights after work fixing their systems. And then he fixed it. And when he was done and everything's working, the foreman of the ministry takes him into the parking lot in the back and he points to a truck with cement in it. And he says, that truck has about a thousand rubles worth of cement in it. Here are the keys. Just bring the truck back when you figure out what you're doing with the cement. That was his payment, right? They, they, that was that's <laughs> it, so. My father is driving around with a cement truck, you know, and he found he offloaded it for like 400 rubles or 500 rubles. But that was life, you know. And so to him, telling wow. his cement story was that was you know like can you imagine you know? And so you see the um, the opportunity that America provides yeah. people. And you really realize that there really isn't a limit to, to, to what's possible, you know, especially in this day and age where there's so much um, technological advancement, so much change, that story kind of reinforced my 
kind of appreciation and gratitude for being in a country where you could, where you could, I mean, not obviously not to say that America doesn't have problems, but um, yeah, I definitely, I think that that's, it was just a crazy thing to hear, you know, that that's the way yeah. people do their lives, you know? And it's not that long ago. No, not at all. Isn't that crazy? Yeah. Yeah. Well, my own story is, it's kind of similar and different, but similar, obviously it's kind of a more modern, but being French, I wanted to work in the wine business. And in France, I'm from the north of France, and it's more beer. There's no wine in the north of France. So in Bordeaux, they would say, are you from Bordeaux? Are you from here? Or in Montpellier, are you from Montpellier? No, I'm not from here. You're from Lille? Okay, why don't you go and do beer, you know? And I felt like blocked. And when I arrived in America, I was the French. I was not the guy from north of France. I was the French guy. Yeah. And I could work anywhere. It's like, oh, you're, you're French. You must know about wine. <laughs> and... <laughs> I, I would take it, you know, as, as a bonus. I didn't know anything about wine. But the great thing about it is that it's all about service. And you could always say, look, I don't know the answer, but I'll come back to you tomorrow with the answer. And if you do that, people will keep calling you and say, okay, good. He's done what he said he would do. And that's not true in, in France. I think it probably stop you right away. Like, okay, you're, you're not from here. Like, uh, you don't know the wine business. Um, can you send me somebody who knows about the wine business? That so this is, you know, the America that, that I love. That like, it's merit, it's hard work, and that's what your your parents felt. One percent, one percent. I think that like, in general, you get the sense when you speak with other immigrants to this country, mm. um, having been in a in a situation where um, they they didn't have that merit based opportunity, and I think that like when you're an immigrant and you come to this country, by definition, you're starting further back because you don't yeah. know the language, you don't have a network necessarily, you don't know the culture, you don't know there's, and so your expectations are, obviously I'm gonna have to work harder. Like, yes. yeah. there's no there's no choice. Like if I, if I work as hard as everyone else, I'm not gonna, I'm gonna, I'm not even gonna make, I'm not gonna survive. Yes. You know? um, so I think that that like attitude, understanding of like, I'm starting further back, but I know that, and I'm going to have to work harder to get ahead. Then when you're catching up with everyone else, you have so much momentum that then you just, you keep going forward. So I think that, um, yeah, no, it's true. And maybe one of the difficulties of somebody who's born here and has all the changes in the world is that they don't see that perspective. And that's why I think everybody before they're 18 or when they turn 18, before going to university, should take a year off and travel. You could travel to South America. It still is really easy. You can travel to some countries in Africa, Middle East, Southeast Asia, and you could be an exchange student anywhere. And even though you don't see uh, like a country that is really like a third world country, you would see a different perspective in culture. You learn a different language and you come back so rich. eh? It's so important. And it's such a shame that people... There's there's this unwritten rule in America that when you're 18 you have to go to college, mm-hmm. and you know your high all your friends in high school are going and, and it's kind of like your fifth year of high school if you will, you know and there's like the drinking culture and this isn't for everyone I'm generalizing obviously yes yes but I think that um, you know I I took a couple of years off of before I graduated college did you where'd you go yeah. I went to Israel I was in Israel for a couple of years okay for a while. And I know that an 18-year-old, at least me, at 18, was not mature enough to really 
benefit from college until I came back. You know, when I came back, I realized like, hey, this is this is serious. Like I'm paying for this grade. Like, you know, I'm, I'm taking yeah. out loans. This is, you know, like, and also this is the only thing I have to be held accountable for. The attitude shift was from being a kid to being an adult. Right. Yeah. And I think that, yeah, it's tough for as an, as an 18 year old to have the maturity to really, really get the most out of college. I mean, you get the most from a social perspective, maybe, but not definitely not from Mm -hmm. like taking that next step. Don't get me wrong. There's a lot of kids that are mature enough to do it. I definitely wasn't one of those. And my social network and my peers were also not mature enough to do that. So I know that, you know, for my kids, I would not ask my kids to go to college right out of high school. I mean, obviously I, I think it's very important for my kids to go to college but I think that it would be a big detriment for them to go as 18 year olds to college. Uh, there's all these rules in life that are unspoken, that are you know, given by the culture you live in. And it's like a, a train, you know, you're 18, you finish high school, then you go to college for four or five years because it's the best. And that's, it's a really good choice. And then once you're done and you get a first job and then you try to climb the ladder and higher and higher, yeah. And then you get a fiance and you get married and you get a kid. And once you have a kid, people say, you have to have a second one and a second one, you have a third one. And then, uh, <laughs> you know, there's like, why that you, <laughs> yeah. yeah, that's why traveling is so good because you see other people and how they think and say, well, I'm not going to college right away. I want, I want to do a trip around the world or yeah. Why you, you can do that. Yeah, you can, <laughs> you know, and the world's a big place and it's a beautiful place, you know, and you see kind of the commonality between people and you see the differences between people. Yeah. I've been lucky to travel a lot, uh, live overseas and live more than a year, like in maybe six different countries. And that's one of the perspectives I want to bring in that podcast, people from different cultures and different backgrounds and filters. Do you have a motto? Or like a quote you like to tell yourself, or maybe a quote from your dad. Like I've got so many from my dad <laughs> that used to say at home. I mean, I think that like my motto is why not me? That's that, I think that that's my, that's I the motto it. I really like. I love it. You know, because I think that like when you see people be great and, and, and achieve a lot of success at some point, they, like they, somebody, they, they, they said, why not me? Right. And so you kind of have to have that crazy at, like, if you don't believe that you're going to be successful, no one else, like you can't expect anybody else to believe that. And success is, I'm not just meaning in your career and whatever it is that, that you're doing. Right. So I really like the, I try to, I like that motto of why not me, mm. you know? <laughs> Do you remember the time you started to think like that? Yeah, I think that it started um, when I launched my first startup. Mm-hmm. You know, I think that it was a little bit of a crazy idea. And I really didn't have any experience, both in entrepreneurship or in what I wanted to build. But I just felt like, there, you know, why, like, why not me? Why, like, why, yeah. why, why can't I figure it out? Why? Then it worked. 
and then well, you kept using it. I mean, it worked in the sense that I raised money, I built it, I deployed it, but it never turned into a billion dollar company, you know. Yeah. We, yeah. So, um, but it definitely set the foundation for where I am in the career, in, in my career now. Mm-hmm. And, and, and it taught me a lot. So I have a, I'd say that that's one of my mottos. I think that like another thing, I don't know if you would call this a motto, but another thing that I really strongly believe in is I think that like everything in, in life is connected. Every little thing is connected. And so I think that like when things happen in your life, if you look at them as coincidences or random things and you're not looking for that connection, it's sometimes becomes hard to grow from your mistakes, you know, because you're, you're not seeing the connect. You're not, you know, there's a, there's always a pattern of things, right? Like you're, you, you, a lot of times you get put back in the same situation as a previous mistake. And it's an, it's the opportunity to kind of take a different path and grow and learn from your previous mistake Mm -hmm. or previous success. Mm -hmm. Um, So I think that like, I'm, one of my things is I always try to strive to look for those connections um, and to, to, to grow from every experience. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, so I don't know. Those are, those are the two I would say. Cool. We'll, we'll come back to it because I think uh, that's, they'll tell a lot how you see roadblocks and successes and how you, you know, thresholds that you pass. Let's go into the thick of the, the podcast. And I've asked you to think about, uh, I really want to do this moment. Might, like for me every day, I wake up, I really want to do this. <laughs> I'm very intuitive, very emotional, and I have a goal for the year, but people are different. So did you actually feel that I really want to do this moment? Like, like I really, I want to do this. You're asking if I really have something I really, really want to do. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, um, at, at some point in my life, I really want to be a rabbi. Like I want to become a rabbi. Tell um, me that. Yeah. Um, but to do that, um, the, the call it the career shift. You have to be financially stable enough yeah. to, to support yourself and your family to do it. Yeah. So I want to get to a place in my career where I can start to pursue um and really kind of uh um focus on 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 that and and um yeah it's definitely something i'm really passionate about so you know when was that born into your mind it's a good question i think that it's like an ongoing journey that i've had Mm -hmm. i don't know if there's been like one particular moment but in terms of just becoming like realizing i want to be a rabbi i think that a lot of people and in, in, in Jewish people in particular. So in Judaism, there's no idea that then everyone in the world needs to be Jewish. That, that's, that's not part of the theology. I think that there's a real misconception of the way that people look at spirituality nowadays. In some ways, I'm interested in taking what I've learned in entrepreneurship and the startup scene and maybe rebranding, if you will, or remarketing yeah. some, some aspects of spirituality that I think can be explained in a more, in a more modern way. And I think that a lot of people look for spirituality and look for meaning in their lives. I think that there's a lot of ways that spirituality is 
sold by organized religion that is very off-putting, if you will. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, so, yeah, <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> so, so do you have a plan for, like, do you give yourself a, a target in terms of, like, maybe in 10 years? Do you have a... Yeah, I mean, I would love to be a rabbi. I mean, you know, why, why do why do you have to wait? What can what can't you be now? Because it's like I mean, a full time. You have to go to you have to you know you have to go. It's like almost getting a PhD. You know, it's like probably like a three or four year immersive program of, of studying. I never had a formal religious education, um, but in Judaism, to become like a a rabbi, it's probably like a good three or four years of like ten to twelve hour days of studying. Oh wow! Okay, okay, yeah, that's a lot. Tell me, tell me about your your family. You have uh, you have them to take care of as well. Uh, That's right. Tell me about them. Uh, so, thank God we had our fourth baby uh, four weeks ago today. Fantastic. Yeah, thank you. Um, and so I have a seven year old son. I have a four year old daughter. I have a two and a half year old son, and now a newborn son. Uh, and then happily married, going on 10 years now. Mm-hmm. I met my wife in, in college when I came back from, from Israel. And uh, yeah, you know, it's, uh, it's definitely uh, probably the most rewarding part of my, uh, of, of my life. Is, is, is ah. You know, I was born in a, we're five kids. So I've got three brothers and one sister. And yeah, I remember you telling me that actually. Oh my God, the best is my siblings, obviously, with ups and downs of, we have little fights here and there, but <laughs> they're a treasure for me. And then when I started to do it myself, after two kids, I was like, I'm done. <laughs> and also my mom is a saint. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, wow. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But your kids are, your kids are what? They're, I think you said you have a 16 year old boy, right? 16 a, and 12. Yeah. 16 almost, 12. almost 13 now. Yeah. Yeah. See, that's to me, I'm very excited for, for Asher or all my kids, but you know, Asher's the oldest. So he's kind of breaking new ground to be 16. Cause he's, you know, like your kids can relate to you now in a way that a seven year old can, like he's seeing his father pursue his dreams. And like, you know, I'm sure you're his, I'm sure you're their hero, right? Like my dad's going to, you know, row from San Francisco to Hawaii. <laughs> so that that's, well, so yeah, there's all the moments in life that are good for kids. Like, I think for me, the period when they're four to five is, it's so amazing because you're literally Superman and you don't do anything. Yeah. <laughs> But like, and, and then they get to teenage years and then that's a little bit different. Like, it's a little tougher. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. <laughs> oh my God. It's, it's such a pleasure. Let's go back to Roblox. How's your way of approaching Roblox and how you look at them um, in general? Do you like for your, I really want to do this. So we could talk about uh, being a rabbi. You just you're like right now, it's just not happening. So you're just patient. But is, is there a, a pattern to how you see problem solving? Well, it's not that it's not happening. I mean, like the path for me to become a rabbi is to become financially independent. Mm-hmm. And so you know, that's, I'm, I'm in a, I know, like, you know, there's this um, idea in Judaism that when the same way that God made the world is the same way that you should approach building things. And what is that, right? Like if you go to the store and you buy 
a box of Legos. Mm -hmm. What's being built is on the box. You see a picture in your mind, you're visualizing this is what I'm building. And then you open the box, you have the pieces and you start putting it together. But the idea in your mind, the, the vision of what you're building is already there and you're just building towards it. Yeah. In your mind, you saw yourself rowing into the Bay of Hawaii. Yeah. Yeah. Right? Yeah. And everything from ordering it from the whole idea with the fan, not working, packaging each food thing in your mind, you're just putting the Lego pieces in place, but you know what the picture on the box is. Yeah. Right. And so I don't think the idea that anything's on pause, right. There's sometimes when you're building that Lego piece, you're just building the base. It looks nothing like it until you start putting more things on it, but you need that base to get, to get everything else. Right. But it takes a lot of discipline, you know, because if you have such a long-term goal, well, either it's, it's so strong that you never give up or there a lot of people that say, okay, I'll never reach it because it just doesn't seem to materialize and they give up on their dream. I definitely agree with that. I think that a lot of people do give up on their dreams. For me, there's no like set date. I'm a very impatient person by nature. Mm. So I want to get there tomorrow if I can. So I'm going to continuously push. I think the idea of financial independence has always really, really appealed to me. It's always been something that I've pursued. Mm -hmm. I think that um, a lot of the times until I matured, I didn't really have any meaning behind that financial independence, meaning like I wanted it for maybe external and superficial reasons, right? Um, Whereas now having a goal of becoming a rabbi, I think that that's a more meaningful pursuit where I can help people Change yeah, tell me more about this. Is it what's your your inner drive? Is it you're, you're going to be a teacher, and then you're you will be satisfied by the way you can impact people's life positively? What what is yeah, that? I mean, that's definitely that's definitely the goal. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, I, I definitely want to. I think that again, like from a, just a grand ambition perspective, I want to change the world. You know, I want to yeah. I want to make the world a better place. I want to leave the world a better place. Yes, I love. Uh, it. For my kids, for their kids, for society, for my community. Um, And so that's definitely the goal, right? And I think that there's a lot of like ancient wisdom that can be brought forth that, you know, people for thousands of years have have incubated and and, and relied on. Um, And so I think that it's interesting that like, even in different cultures and different religions, a lot of, there's so much overlap. Of, of, oh, yes. Amount of, of that, you know, um, definitely for me, there, there's a couple benefits. So on, on the, on the altruistic side, I definitely obviously want to impact people and make them have a more meaningful, happier life. And, you know, I, I know a lot of people in my own life, family members, friends, that um, don't really understand how much attitude plays a part in the way that in, in reality, right? Like there's two people that might be in very similar positions and one is thinking everything is going amazing and the other is thinking everything is going to shit. Mm-hmm. And literally the, the, they're in the exact same position. In fact, one could be way worse than the other, you know? And so, um, you know, 
dealing with adversity, a big part of it is the story that you tell yourself, right? And so being able to tell yourself the right story um, is just such an important part of good mental health. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I wrap that up in my spirituality and what I, but I think that in general, the pursuit of success, the most important thing for every, anyone in pursuing success by far and away is to be in a place where they're happy with themselves, right? Like yeah. if, if you're, if you, if you're telling somebody that success means exterior accomplishments and that person is on medication and can't look themselves in the mirror and wakes up and can't get out of bed in the morning. What good is everything that they've accumulated? It's worthless. You know? um, So there's certain things that are tried and true and things like gratitude. I think anyone would agree is a really, really important component of, of um, having a positive attitude. I think mm-hmm. I love it. Is this on topic? I want to make sure that I'm- no, it's perfect. I this is exactly what I what I want. In fact, I'm going to throw you a curveball. Sure. Uh, you you say, uh, you know, the ultimate goal as being a rabbi. Well, let's say it's like a PhD. In fact, you're the one who said it's a PhD in religion. So it's kind of like a diploma. Sure. Why do you need a diploma? You could start today. Start a podcast and teach well because so i could um but there's also like i'm an am like i love science right like i love astronomy yeah. and i've i love science fiction and i could talk for hours about black holes and mm-hmm. you know the hubble constant and all this stuff <laughs> but like that. if i really wanted to teach it i would go to school and be and really learn it meaning like yes so that's one of the things that's one of the reasons but the other reason is you need to be an expert to talk about something you need need an expert and talk about it but also um i mean do you like if you talk about love you could say this is my concept of love and i'm a a young guy but i'm a father and i have empathy and sympathy and i have this is why i feel now you know you don't need a diploma for that so that I totally agree with that. And I do like, I, like these conversations and to yeah. people, I definitely talk about it. I think that the difference is, is that like, when you scale up, when you're talking to more people and, and, and you're dealing with situations, a lot of the times you yourself don't know the answers to yes. a lot of these situations. So that's the first thing I would say. The second thing, just from a selfish perspective is a lot of these things that about gratitude and, and the spirituality are things that I came to myself through my own struggles with, um, with depression, with attitude, with anxiety, with all of these things. And so I'm still constantly searching and trying to learn. And, and so, um, you know, it's one of those things where like, you know, like it's similar. And, and this might sound weird, but probably similar in a lot of ways to like, to, 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 to your pursuit of, 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 of this, of this rowing. Like you get this certain feeling when you're out on the ocean that you can't explain, mm-hmm. you know, and you just like, you just love being there. It's just something that's yeah. really yeah. ingrained. And so, you know, when I have like a, that spiritual connection, it really, 
is because is a meaningful thing to me. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that pursuit of that education is something that I think I, I, yeah. would, I would really enjoy. But, but I, let me recall you the first words you said at the beginning. It's like you want to bring a more modern way. And yes. in fact, there's nothing wrong with tradition and learning the, the, the right way, let's say, you know, with my brackets, air brackets. But there was a conversation I had with, with a friend of mine. He's a, a documentary filmmaker. All right, he's actually the uncle of my girlfriend. And I told him, well, you know, I want to do a documentary about my crossing. And he said, okay, here's that much. You need those cameras. You need those things. And he told me, you know, you need a budget of a million dollars to make a good movie. Okay, good. And then he said, well, but you could talk to my son and he could tell you that you can make a documentary with an iPhone, you know? And he says, I just cannot understand. And there's like this gap between the old generation and the new one that's like, no, I got my iPhone and I'm gonna film myself, GoPro and there you go. And I, I just love this very freeing way of seeing the world, like very disruptive. Now uh, there's in the religion in general, it's, it's pretty hard to move things that fast. Like I'm just going to do this, but why not? You know, if it's your passion. <laughs> well, to be clear, you know, I, I am an Orthodox Jew. I'm a, an observant Jew. So when I say modernize, it's more of modernizing um, the marketing of it and the yeah. explanation of it. Right. I think that, um, there's a lot of ways that you can interact with reality and there's a lot of ways that you can look at your own successes and failures. Mm-hmm. And there's a lot of lessons that can be learned from them. And the way that you, like you definitely don't need to be religious and there's plenty of people that have very meaningful lives without God in their life. And there's also plenty of people that have great attitudes in terms of setbacks. I think that you're a perfect example. That I, don't, I don't know your level of religiousness, but I think that, in terms of setbacks, right? Like mm-hmm. you literally the next day you were like, this is, this is a minor setback. This is, I'm going to do this again as soon as I can. Like there wasn't any real dwelling on the past. It was immediately, this is a step in my journey. Mm-hmm. Right. And so that's, a, it's not, that's not that common. Mm-hmm. You know, I think that a lot of people, again, I think that you naturally have the ability to tell yourself that story. And by telling yourself that right story, you're able to deal with adversity in a very healthy way. And this is the whole purpose of the podcast. I want to teach it, but if I were to say, okay, well, the wind is blowing this way. Why are you trying to set your sail and go left if the wind is pushing right? Just look at the wind and change your sail. But it's so easy for me because it's just natural. A lot of people don't. 100%. 100%. That's why it's so interesting to see people with different mindset and different personalities and different way of being raised uh, because I can't change the world, but this is what I want. I want people to go after what they love and when they're set back, readjust. Yeah. 100%. Yeah, that readjustment is, is really, really important. Um, and I think that, you know, everyone experiences setbacks, you know, everyone experiences um, adversity. Um, I think that for me, struggling with that, one of the things that helped me was this idea of internalizing that I'm not in control. 
right? Like I'm not going to get, I can't force my way to my desired outcome. You know, you can do your best. You can make the best decisions out of the inputs that you have. And sometimes you make bad decisions. I've made very bad decisions in my life. <laughs> yeah. <everybody> <laughs> um, well, it's but, a really interesting. So now you've got two. You've got why not me? And the yeah. other one is I'm still, I'm not in control of everything. Yeah, but, not, and, and you, have to, you just have to learn how to be okay with not being in control. You know, and that's very, in some ways, like, I think that like when you think about it, it can be scary, but in other ways, it's very freeing, right? Because, um, again, from a religious perspective, my belief is that the being, I, I call God, the creator, the engineer yeah. Yeah. is in control, is in full control. And because, and the relationship that you, that any human being can have with him is a very real relationship where God wants the best for, for me. And, for, and for, so by knowing that God is in control, it's very easy for me. Oh, to, yeah, yeah, yeah. You're relaxed. Yeah. 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 I mean, you know, trust. there's, a, there's exactly, I think that trust is the right word for it. There's trust, you know, so you do your best and you hope that everything works out, you know? So, yeah, I don't know. <laughs> I love it. Do your best. And everything will will work out because <laughs> if you do your out. best if you do your best you have nothing to worry to worry 100 percent. i think that like a lot of people don't realize that a lot of times like i'll give you an example of a forced outcome right there's a lot of time like i there's a job i was i was working at um at morgan stanley and i was interviewing at a job at a hedge fund And I made it to the final round of interviews. And frankly, looking back, I was not qualified enough for the story. I just didn't have the necessary. Um, I hadn't been at Morgan Stanley long enough, didn't have the necessary. And I kind of was charismatic enough to kind of make it to the final rounds. Um, and when I didn't get it, I was very disappointed. Like, I was very, very upset. You know, uh, this is probably a decade ago, maybe more. Mm -hmm. And then... A year later, I started working with my co-founder for the idea of my startup, right? And I was a, and, and I was able to raise money and launch it, and and all the success I had came on the back of that. Had I gotten what I really really wanted at that time, yes, I never would have done the other stuff. Yeah, you could see where you don't, you know, as human beings, because we're perpetual, we live on a timeline. We we don't see around the bend. Right. So I really, really wanted something. And clearly looking back, it wasn't the best thing for me. Yes. Yeah. 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 You know? It happens so often. All the time. All yeah. the time. In relationships, in business, in yeah, in in health and, and a lot of things. You know, a lot of the times the worst thing that happens to you is the best thing that ever happened to you. Yes. You know, and so understanding that um is a is again it goes back to this idea that you're not in control right like you you, you there's a reason for it i don't know it yet trust your desires say again right? you shouldn't trust your desires what i do that all the time what are you talking about <laughs> i can think what i said like like but that's my point right that's like part of letting go is like you realize like yes i really really want it but it wasn't meant to be i really wanted to cross this yes. time but it wasn't meant to be There's nothing you, you couldn't have planned 
a storm in the middle no. of the Pacific at that time. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. There's nothing you could have done. Yeah. It was 100% out of your control. Mm-hmm. Right. And so, you know, it's, it's, that's just, that's, that's life, right. It's just under being able to kind of take a step back and see the forest for the trees, you know, understanding that like what you really, really want might not be the best thing for you. And you, yeah. because you can't see around the bend and you don't have a full picture, like you said, you just have to trust that God's going to do what's best for you. And sometimes what's it, it doesn't, you can't see it. You just, you can't see until you get around the bend and you see it. So. Well, I was going to ask you a conclusions for the listeners. If you had one takeaway, but it looks like you just said it, <laughs> 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 but I'll ask you the question anyways, if, if you have to give like one takeaway, uh, be careful. It's part of the exam for to be a rabbi. Sure. What is the one thing you would say to our listeners? I think that um, it's really, I think that there's certain things that are prerequisites to being successful that I found in my life mm-hmm. on a, call it a secular basis. Those are things like having professional pride. Those are things uh, like, Um, understanding that you're your own brand and your output and it is what you're going to be held accountable for. Mm-hmm. It's the understanding the difference in being results oriented and output oriented. I've worked with a lot of people in my life that push out so much output, but there's, there's no real results. And then there's people that they're the output is the results. And so it's, it's mm-hmm. you know, and so those things like that, on a secular real life level, those, those things are prerequisites to being successful. You just can't get around them. You really need to understand how to move the needle in whatever it is that you're pursuing. Um, but at the same time, you should also understand that um, it's very hard to see the forest from the trees and you should always question yourself and ask yourself whether you're able to see it. And then when you are able to humble yourself enough to understand that you, you clearly can't, then you start opening yourself up to the world of possibilities that, that life is going to take you and the direction that life is going to take you. You know, I love it. Yeah. <laughs> wow. I'm going to have to listen to this podcast like four times in a row because Every five minutes, you give me something that I have to think for like two weeks. <laughs> I love it. Uh, okay. One more thing. Two things, actually. One is um, the reveal of the song. Uh, I always ask people if they have one go-to song when they want to feel good. Uh, do you have one song like this? Sure. It's a religious Jewish song called Thank You, God. yes and so it's like kind of like a club banger okay. so it's like uh is it an artist or everybody sings yeah yeah, yeah. It's, it's, a, it's an artist so whose artist is that it's a guy named joey newcomb joey newcomb yeah is n-e-w new yeah n-e-w-c-o-m-e okay yeah and why do you love this song it just fires you up like because there's an idea like There's this, there's this idea in Judaism that like when you really have trust in God, you say thank you even when the bad things happen to you. Wow. Right? Like you're grateful for the negative as much as for the positive. Right? And so 
it's a very difficult thing to get to a place in your life where you're grateful for the bad things that happen to you. Mm-hmm. Um, but, uh, and I'm definitely not there yet. <laughs> it's like surrendering, surrendering. The one thing we said earlier. Yes. Yeah. yeah. So Love it. well, I'll go and listen to it. Can sure. you find it on YouTube? Yeah, it's called Thank You Hashem. Hashem is the Jewish word for God. Hashem. Okay, I love it. Uh, tell me, last thing, where can people uh, follow you and, and learn more about you? Do you have a, a website or your Facebook page, LinkedIn? What? Yeah, I mean, I'm on. Uh, I'm on Instagram. I'll tell you what my Instagram handle is. It's um, it's art nine three two. It's mostly my family, but there are times that I post that I post, you know, some more top what, stuff. What does 932 stand for? It was the unit I was in in the, in the Israeli army. Oh, yes. Oh, yeah, because you have to do those two years, right? Yeah. Oh, yeah, that's, you know, I did my trip around the world. I was 25. I was finishing university, and I did my military service. But in France, you can either do, like, go and then do the push-ups and running, all that, or you could work for a French company overseas. And they still see you as working for the the patri, the, uh-huh. the home, the mother patri. So I worked for Peugeot in Italy for oh, a year wow. and a half. And then after I did my trip around the world, and after those two years of doing the army, the Israeli or the Jewish, they go on usually on a trip around the world. They're like, oh, I got some the money. And after two years of hard working, I want to take a year off. And you see all these people around the world having fun. Israelis and they have the long hair and they're, yeah. you know, it's interesting because in Israel, there really isn't this idea of like PTSD. And so a lot of the times what happens is like they're the soldier's ways of dealing with the trauma that they went through is that trip. You know, it's known that you go on that trip afterwards. Did you? I didn't because I started the army later on in my life. So my trip was the army, fortunately. I mean, I joked, that, you know, I, uh, I, I didn't, I didn't, I, um, well, you need to I did, but I, but I dealt with a lot of PTSD, you know, you know, when I, um, when I first started, you know, dating my wife, it, it was right after I was out of the army, I would, you know, had a, had a, I, I did, yeah. Uh, you know, I'd wake up in, in, in nightmares and cold sweats and it took a, took a long time to kind of, process yeah. it's wow. funny because you know in the soviet union there is no there's no therapists you know yeah. <laughs> so it's foreign to my culture to go to go to therapists but uh no i mean it's it's funny how different re- societies or countries have different words for different things like i don't know what the translation for upset in french is really <laughs> yeah so i don't know and in, on the other hand gourmand <laughs> which is when you like to eat good things Yeah. It's actually a, a very good advantage to be in France. You're gourmand, they're like gourmandise. Yeah. But here would be gluttony. Gluttony is like so oh. negative. <laughs> not... How do you say something when you're happy to have dessert? <laughs> It doesn't exist in America. It's always bad. No, you can't have dessert. <laughs> I love it. All right. Well, thank you so much, Art. Uh, it was great. Again, I'll listen to, to uh, that podcast many, many times. And I learned always something new. Thank you for your time. It was yeah. Really thank cool. you. And so I want to say that um, you know I was following your entire journey. It was very inspiring. I'm sure you're going to you're going to get there. And uh, yeah, man, I was 
all the little all the little hiccups the fan all of that stuff oh, you, wow. you know and you just you got like i said you got to keep your eyes on that on the lego box of you just rowing into the yes into the port. waikiki yeah and, and have waikiki. those friends and have all the lay flowers and and it like, it's gonna happen yeah there's so much i need to do uh, i've got 10 months now can i ask you was it like the time of year like what happened with the waves that made it i don't know this year was really windy for some reason very windy um more than usual um, were you scared out there was it a scary situation no i think i for this i'm really happy with the preparation i had uh physically and also the mental preparation because once i was in that cabin i felt so safe and i spent three days I couldn't go out and, and I was on the sea anchor and it was just winging it out. I was watching Seinfeld. <laughs> like, what was it? Like, you, were just, you must have been going up, what, you said 10 meters and down 10 meters? No, it, the, it was like four and a half meters. So it's about That's... between 12 to 15 feet. But you go up and down, up and down. And, and after a while, you just... But don't you have to keep the boat to the waves? It can't be sideways or you'll yes. tip over. Yeah. How That's do you exactly... do that? That's a sea anchor. That's exactly what happened. You put that sea anchor, it's like a, a brace. It stops the boat from moving. And the, the, the parachute in the water will be basically not moving. And then the wind is going to push the boat and automatically it'll go perpendicular to the boat, so the wave. So you go up and down, up and down. And that failed. At some point, the parachute collapsed because the retrieving line got entangled in the rudder. That put the boat sideways to, the and then you started and then banging banging and that started to be really dangerous yeah but that happens and even then i mean it's it's actually uh hard to explain because i wasn't fearful for my life i never thought i was like i'm gonna die but i felt like it was not a sustainable situation yeah but my body was in high stress and i started to puke of stress and you know how you have the parasympathetic nerve that is triggered it probably was for a few days but i mentally i was controlling my body saying okay i'm fine i'll just wait it out but my body was yeah not having it and that's when it, you start to think okay i'm not in control yep. and that things go go to decision making okay can i do this for the next three days is this the best way to start the, the crossing of 70 days right you know, exactly. i'm already dehydrated probably don't eat well i haven't i'm sleep deprived um it was only a week after i'd left you know this is really dangerous is my boat gonna be like all these questions right. yeah and then how happy were you when you went back out and you saw your boat again oh well the boat was on its own my that's no she's my girl you know and i had to go get her and it didn't matter i had to find a tow boat and took and was there a beacon that like brought you to the boat yeah yeah, yeah. we and had so that that uh, tracker for the map, I let it turned on so that I could go get it. And it took me two days to find a tow boat and then another day to organize it. And, and I think you said the boat's going. in good condition, right? Like the Oh, it's great. Yeah, yeah. No, I need to change it. I want to change. Oh, yeah. Perfect. Change the rudder. I want more protection in the cabin because I saw I, you. I saw that. that. Yeah. And then what about the, the the parachute? Are you going to redo the engineering behind that? Yeah, yeah. There's. I think it was a little bit too big. Uh, the retrieval oh. line. I think I can improve to have better floating floating ability. Uh, I can change also some things in front of the the rudder so that it doesn't get caught on it. Mm. Um, and I'm going to change my food system. I want to be able a few things, you know, uh, that, that I, I cover the rudder in some ways. 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. Some uh, protection so that it could still turn and steer, but yeah. then nothing could get entangled on it. That's one of the things I'll do probably next week. Uh, I gave myself two months not to tackle anything yet and kind yeah. of step back and, 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 and then have more clear vision of where, what I needed to do. When um, it's it's funny because you're gonna put all this work in, and you're just not gonna have the same situation. You're just gonna get past it. <laughs> you're, just, you're just. I hope so. Yes, I you're hope not gonna so. Use anything. <laughs> no wind. Oh, the wind will be blowing me just at right speed. But it's okay. But you'll be prepared mentally. It'll feel so good. Yeah. You gotta trust the process, man. Yeah. You're gonna get there. So when's the plan? Next May, I think is what. You're oh yeah, yeah, yeah. And start again the same period of time because that's when the days are, are the longest. And when the winds are more favorable, I'm still going to have the first three weeks hard to get off the coast, but that's part of it. And, but would you start have, later? why not start in like, like June or July? Uh, yeah, I could do mid June. Uh, and then after, if you count 70 days from July, I would get into hurricane season. So that, oh. that we want to avoid that <laughs> a little bit, <laughs> <laughs> but I'll be ready. You know, I have more time to go again on the water, do more sea trials. Physically, was it more difficult than you were anticipating? No. Well, I, I don't know. Hard to say. The first day I did 12 hours and I felt great, but that's the first day. Second day I was seasick. I only did seven hours, uh, but there was seasickness, you know, made me puke. And then I had to manage this. I knew it was coming. And then I was stuck. For it always happens, right? Like the first 48 yeah, hours. Depends for me. Yes. And then the brain adjusts and then yeah. I'll be fine. The, 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 what's it called? It's like in your inner ear, right? You have to yeah. get it's the balance. Yeah. The balance. Yeah. Uh, but thank you so much, Art. Thank you to all the listeners. It was great. It was great speaking with you. And, uh, oh, it was fun, and we'll do it again for sure. in yeah. ten years when you're a rabbi. <laughs> sure. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, everyone, and remember, life is an adventure. Live it. Thanks, Art. Love it. Have a beautiful day. We'll be in touch soon. For sure. All the best.